You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. Tonight I thought I would start talking about a text called Buddha Nature, or in Japanese, Busho. And my intention is not to go through it in a scholarly way or to go word for word. That's a really enjoyable way to read something like this, but it would take about a year. It's a little bit long. But I thought we could kind of jump through some of the highlights. And, and tonight I thought I would just set the scene. Buddha nature. The Buddha Shakyamuni said, all living beings in their entirety have the Buddha nature. The Tathagata always abides without any change. The Buddha Shakyamuni said, all living beings in their entirety have the Buddha nature. So this phrase, all living beings, we hear a lot in, uh, in Buddhist circles about sentient beings. Uh, we've talked about this before, but uh, we know from lots of experience that when Dogen is talking about all living beings, he's quite explicit that he doesn't actually mean they have to be living, not by our conventional definition. He actually writes uh, in other texts about mountains that walk, for example. And so he's expanding uh, life beyond where we usually might. So sentient and insentient beings, everything, absolutely everything he's saying has Buddha nature. And Buddha nature is one of these kind of feel-good terms that uh, we throw around and it's very confusing. <laughs> I think that Buddha nature, when we hear it, we imagine that there's something in us uh, that we carry around but that maybe isn't fully tapped or fully expressed. Right? Or we hope we do. We hope we have Buddha nature. And we, we try to recognize Buddha nature in others. And we, when we feel really nice, we think, well, that's, that's Buddha nature, right? And when we feel particularly selfish or, or particularly cranky, we don't think, ah, there's my Buddha nature again, right? We imagine that something beautiful and pure is being obscured we see Buddha nature almost as a, as a potential. I think it's very hard not to imagine it in that way. But the whole point of this, this is a spoiler alert, is to tell you that that's not right. The Tathagata always abides without any change. The Tathagata is, is another word for the Buddha and what it means is one who thus comes and goes. 
So that's defining the Buddha not as someone who has enlightenment or had enlightenment or is enlightenment, but as someone who is just what they are. There's nothing extra. There's no pretense. When he comes, he just comes. And when he goes, he just goes. I've heard people describe Thich Nhat Hanh uh, in this way, in, in terms of a kind of invisibility or a stillness. That you can be standing in a room of people who are gathered to see Thich Nhat Hanh and who are very excited to see Thich Nhat Hanh and look down and realize that he's been standing next to you for 20 minutes. There's no big deal. There's nothing in his expression that says, look at me. That's very rare. And it's not the same as hiding. We have stories, I think, about what reality is. And obviously, this is speaking to reality in its entirety. Right? If he says that everything has Buddha nature, then we're having a very broad conversation. Right? He's saying that everything is Buddha nature, and that Buddha nature is everything. This is almost impossible for us to grasp mentally. We talk about reality, but we imagine that somehow there's still something that's not reality. Right? Reality is a name that we can offer up. And yet it's a simple truism, and I've said this before, that nothing unreal exists. It's all reality. It's just that there's some of it we don't want to include. And so we tell stories to ourselves. And these stories, though they sometimes sound very expansive, are designed to make the world very, very small. I, used to, I was thinking about this as I was driving here tonight, that I used to have this purple poncho, this rain poncho. It was really great. It was an extra large thing. I got it in Japan. And it had a little hood. And I'd put it on, it was very lightweight, and it would cover me all the way down to the ground. It was just like I was in this massive purple rainproof sheet. And it had a little tiny zipper pocket in the middle. And you could flip that pocket inside out, and then you could stuff the whole thing in there with your thumbs until it almost disappeared, right? And then you just had this little pouch about the size of your fist. And you could, it was like a magic trick. And you could say, you know, that, you remember that poncho? It's really this. And then, and then you could pull it out for someone who'd never seen it before and say, see this little thing? And you unzip and you zoom. And this enormous thing pops out. And you'd say, it's really this. This is what we do all the time. right? Because we need our lives to be manageable. And we need the world to be manageable. So we look at something that's really, really, really big. And we try to find a way to condense it 
into something that we can carry. And then when we find something that we think is not very important, then as Buddhists, this is a, I think, a particular aspect of Buddhist practice. And, and I'll, I don't mean to say it's wrong, it's necessary. But we find something that's very ordinary and small and we start telling a story about how big it is. It's really big. So we look at a rock that we would otherwise have never noticed, but now we're Buddhist. Now we're doing Buddhist practice and we're starting to notice a lot of things and we're starting to assign some really beautiful stories. Right? And these stories, it, they're fun because they're, they're rational, but they're romantic. So we see the rock and we look at it and we think, I thought this was just a rock. But actually, this rock represents the entire history of the earth, right? This, this rock is linked to all these geologic ages and, it's, and it's, it's taken on its shape due to water and due to weather. And it used to be bigger and now it's smaller and there were events around it. And it's, it's, it's part of our, uh, our understanding of the entire ecosystem. Right? Everything is included in this rock. That's what we'll tell ourselves, right? We actually have a lot of language like this. Everything is in this rock. We'll get really excited about it. I think we have to do this. Whether we're doing it with a philosophy and a worldview or whether we're doing it with our own lives, we don't get to transcend our stories without going through our stories. We don't get to skip that step. It would be nice if we could just jump over that narrative. We have to have the narrative. So I don't mean to say that it's wrong, and, and I don't think that, that Dogen would suggest that it's wrong, but there's something on the other side. And on the other side, it's not that it's just a rock. It's not even a rock. Because rock is also a story. <laughs> That rock is fine without you. That's the shock, <laughs> right? That rock was doing great before you picked it up. And that rock's narrative was complete before you started running through it in your head. We have to pick it up, but we have to put it down. So we have these, these statements in the Zen world about how, uh, you know, before I came to Zen practice, uh, mountains were mountains and rivers were rivers. And then I came to Zen practice and mountains weren't mountains anymore and rivers were no longer rivers. And then, oh, they were just mountains and they were just rivers. We get... We get turned in this. We start questioning what everything is. We start trying to put names on it. And even as we walk in the door and someone says, this practice helps you move beyond narrative, we're handing you a new narrative. Right? And your narratives are starting to get really rich and really complex. 
it's like a vaccine, right? Where we inject you with the actual disease. <laughs> the Buddha Shakyamuni said, all living beings in their entirety have the Buddha nature. The Tathagata always abides without any change. The Buddha is always the Buddha. And the Buddha is Buddha nature, and the Buddha nature is everything. Though it is said that this is turning the Dharma wheel of the lion's roar of the great master Shakyamuni, the honored one, it is the pate and the eyes of all the Buddhas, all the ancestral masters. So we have this idea of turning the Dharma wheel. Right. We were just told that the Tathagata always abides without any change. And the juxtaposition of the two images is valuable for us because we need to be reminded sometimes that when a wheel is on an axle, when it's working as a wheel and not just as a disc that you roll down the street, there's a part of the wheel that doesn't turn, right? So even as we're turning the wheel of the Dharma, there's something that we can't move. It's the thing at the center of the center. In this particular tradition, we don't do koan practice, but if you're looking for one, a great question to ask yourself, especially in times of stress, is what's the part that's not moving? <laughs> it is said that this is tur the turning the Dharma wheel of the lion's roar, the lion's roar being a term for the, the uh, expounding the Dharma of the great master Shakyamuni, the honored one. We can never just say the Buddha. We always have to give him a lot of names. It is the pate and eyes of all the Buddhas. The pate being the top of the head. And it's just, that's the, the, the personage. That's, it's like, it's like counting cows, right? We have two head or three head or four head. And the eyes being what they see. It's the actual, the actual Buddha, and it's also the lens of the Buddha. All the ancestral masters. Its study has come down for 2,190 years. This is written in 1241, and is based on a system that at that time had the Buddha I think dying in around 900 something AD. And now we would put it more at 600, but nobody really agrees on this. And it's, it's amazing that, you know, we can tell exactly how old a tree is, but we'll never know when the Buddha was born. Uh, through 50 generations, that's at Dogen's time, of correct descent. Through 28 generations in the Western heavens, that's 28 in East Asia. It has been maintained in generation after generation. 
through 23 ages in the Eastern Earth that has been maintained in age after age. The Buddhas and ancestors of the Ten Directions have all maintained it. So there's this, this language around maintaining, and this is, this is partly a translation problem, but it's partly just a language problem. What are they maintaining? They're maintaining this statement that's being said at the beginning, which is that there's nothing they can hold. You can't hold Buddha nature. Not if Buddha nature is what Bogen is saying is. Because this is it. And this is it. And your memory of your dog when you were a child is it. And what you're going to do tomorrow at noon is it. And the wind is it. It's just a function of our humanity that in order to talk about reality, we have to give a name to it when, in fact, it's kind of useless. Right? Why would you give a name to something when there's nothing that isn't that thing? It's just a layer. And so this whole text is about Buddha nature and what Buddha nature is. And this whole text is telling us for a lot of pages beyond this that we have to let go of the idea of Buddha nature. <laughs> that our fantasy, our story about the qualities with which the world is truly imbued is not useful. It has a function, but it's misleading. So when we tell ourselves that all people are basically good, or when we tell ourselves that the universe is fundamentally benevolent, or when we imagine that there's some sort of clarity at the base of all things. In each of those cases, we're suggesting that, that reality, as we understand it, is some sort of circle within a circle. And that there's a circle outside in which those things are not true. Difficulty within this tradition, I find, is that it offers so little candy. <laughs> because I want to sit back and think about the compassionate nature of the universe. And I want to have a story about how everyone I meet is fundamentally imbued with something called Buddha nature that is a very special part of them that maybe I can learn to see or that I can learn to smell like a truffle. But in this tradition, what we're being offered is the suggestion that no, 
that person you see on the street is just is that person. And the rock is a rock. Not just, fully. And the universe is the universe. It's not your story about it. And it's certainly not rising to your expectations of what you think it should be. It's just fully itself. But the ramifications for this are also really big. It's not reductive. And so we'll, we'll come back to this over time. And today I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.